Have you ever wondered deep down, what motivates me to do what I'm doing? Some of us know people who like to run marathons or triathlons, and we wonder to ourselves, why? Why would you put yourself through hours and hours and hours of training just to compete? Or people who climb mountains, you don't just start climbing a mountain by finding the straightest rock face you can find and seeing how it goes. You need to put in hours and hours of training and experience and fortitude to be able to climb. But why? Why do people do that? What is their motivation? There may be some, some who think the same of us. Why do they go to church every Sunday morning? Sunday mornings are a great time for sleeping in. Um, why do they talk about Jesus so much? Why are they so nice? What is their motivation? Why do they do what they do. Today we're going to be working through a passage that covers a lot of ground, but it comes right down to a single truth, and that truth is, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. So I'm not sure how your week has gone for you. It's been a different sort of a, a week for me. Working from home comes with uh, certain challenges. In my office at the church, I can put my head down and get some work done, whereas at home, there are many more distractions. For instance, Slower Wi-Fi means not getting things done as quickly and as efficiently as I normally do. I also have a big, beautiful window in my office and has a great view. It makes me really, really want to be outside. Uh, there's lots of other things to do around my, my home, too, with my family being there. These are distractions, but they're fun distractions. It's hard working when the ATV is out and the sun is out and the weather is nice. I know, I know. I have it so very, very tough. For some of you, this has been a, a more stressful week. Uh, with everyone stuck in the house and stuck at home, uh, things can get a little stir-crazy. For many of us, we're not really used to this type of environment, and we can get a little short with each other. My prayers out this morning, our passage can ground us back to the truth, is that God is in control and he cares about us. We have a rather large passage to cover this morning, so let me just uh, read it for us, and then uh, we can get working on it. Romans 2, 12 to 29. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciousness bears witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus as my gospel declares. Verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God, and if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher for the little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you... Then, who teach others, do not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say to the people, should not 
that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. Nor is a circumcision merely an outward or physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from another or not from other people, but from God. Often when we work our way through a passage, we need to be aware of certain contexts and words that come up over and over again. One of my commentaries calls this passage the challenge to the hypothetical Jew. Paul is pointing out to those listening, both Jews and Gentiles, that this is the pedestal that many Jews put themselves on in terms of those around them. Because of their religiousness, they somehow think that they're better than everyone else. Since the letter is written to the Christians in Rome, Paul is giving them a little sneak peek into the mind of how the religious Jew thought of themselves. What he's really doing is he's teaching them to avoid hypocrisy. One of the words that we see a lot in this little passage here is the word, is the phrase of the law. The law is God's standard for his people. To the Jews, the law means the Torah. This was given them, to them by God on Mount Sinai. And Paul isn't saying that it's a bad thing and that we should follow it. What he's saying is this is the standard that God gave his people. Now, we can't confuse this with something called common law, otherwise known as universal law. Common law, universal law, is the law that is created to benefit the majority of the people or is universally accepted by the majority of the people. So, for example, uh, euthanasia or abortion. Some see this as a cost-saving measure. Others would see this as the right to choose. Universal law says that if the majority wants this, then it must be okay. Whereas God's law says, murder is murder. Jesus and Matthew 5.17 teaches that these laws are for us to follow too. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or to get rid of it. Rather, he came to fulfill the law. Without the law, we would have, or without the law, we wouldn't have a standard that God calls his children to live by. We wouldn't understand grace. What Jesus did on the cross for us would hold no significance for us. Verse 15 also raises a really significant point. Significant point. We are all born with a recognition of right and wrong. Many of you over the past week have probably heard this phrase, it's not fair. He took my toy. Make him give it back. She took my, you fill in the blank. Make her give it back. God has placed within each of us a conscience by which we know and are able to make moral decisions. And we know that our conscience works because at an early age, we know when we are being mistreated, don't we? We are born with that recognition 
of right and wrong. And our passage says that this comes from God and should be and should direct us towards God. Paul's initial statement here says, Jews and Gentiles alike, all of you are in the same category. All of you are sinners. Jews, you have the law, but you didn't follow it. Gentiles, you had the recognition, but decided to go your own way. All of you will face God's judgment. He knows everything there is to know about you, even those things that are hidden. The law that we talked about a couple minutes ago is the basis on which God's divine judgment happens. The law that he gave us is the standard. The solution that he gave us is Jesus. And until the law exposes the sin of our, in our lives, we really don't, we really aren't ready to hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins. We could end this thing right here, um, but the next few verses actually shed even more light onto what we're uh, talking about today. These next few passages, or next few verses here, are actually a warning to the church. Paul now focuses on the Jewish people, and he has some very, very critical things to say to them. He says, you have many claims. You claim that you know God. You claim that you know God's will. You claim that you're superior to others because you have been instructed in God's law. You claim to be a guide for the spiritually blind, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher for the children. But you really are no different than those that you claim to be superior over. You don't teach yourself. You steal. You commit adultery. You say you hate idols, but you don't honor God. The passage goes on to quote Isaiah 52, verse 5. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He says, you're not a represent. God says, you're not a representative of me. In fact, you make a mockery of me to those around you. Do we ever do that? Do we ever misrepresent Jesus by the way we live our lives, by the thoughts in our heads, by what we watch on the internet, by the way we spend our money, etc., etc., etc.? Or do we approach do we approach life like this? I'm learning to be like Jesus. My attitudes, behaviors, and character. So to get us back to our initial question that I ask you today, why do I do what I do? Paul answers this in the final part of the passage today. It's a hard thing. I do this because I love Jesus and I want to honor him above all else. It's a hard thing. This week, as I was looking into some online resources for our families for this uh, next little while, I came across a guy who first created Veggie Tales. His name is Phil Visser, and he has a new project out there called Mr. Phil TV. And for the next couple of months, his resources are actually free. And I'll be sending out some info this week about this. He's doing book studies and studies on some fathers of our faith. And I came across this episode on the book of Job and the study of William Wilberforce. If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I would suggest that you look this up, this look that up this week. This amazing movie is about a man, a man named William Wilberforce, Wilberforce, who, after finding Jesus, took on the slave trade and spent the rest of his life working towards the abolition of slavery. He was actually a contemporary of John Newton, who wrote that amazing hymn. Amazing grace. Both of these men committed their lives to freeing people 
from the from bondage because their hearts had been changed by Jesus. I do what I do because my heart has been changed by Jesus. I strive to live a life that honors Jesus because my heart has been changed by Jesus. I apologize to those I have wronged because my heart has been changed by Jesus. I share God's love with others because my heart has been changed by Jesus. Talk about this with your family after we shut this off today. Is there something that we can do in our time of isolation to show others that we love Jesus? Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text message. From Some of you who are very much more uh, tech savvy, maybe it's Google Hangout. Uh, Maybe it means we need to learn to be a little more loving to those that we are in isolation with. Two things. Find a way to give a personal form of encouragement to somebody else in your church family this week. Let your brothers and sisters know that you miss them. Number two, let someone outside of the church know that you're thinking of them. Share Jesus' love with them through this time. Remember our mission, right? Loving Jesus, serving others together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can learn more about you today, Jesus. Thank you that we can commit our hearts more deeply to you. Help us this week as we're seeking to reach out to our church family, seeking to reach out to our neighbors around us and show them, Jesus, how much you love them. And Lord Jesus, help us to learn to be more like you in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.